Good evening to everyone here, and good morning to those joining from Singapore, and good your time, or wherever you may be joining. <laughs> so, let's sit quietly for a while to calm our body and mind. Let's cultivate our merit field, visualizing Shakyamuni Buddha in the space above oneself, radiant, exuding love, compassion, wisdom, understanding, awakening. In the form of rays of light that touch us, a mere touch of this brings us a taste of those qualities. With each of those qualities having been completely perfected, try to see some connection between some any tiny, tiny tiny speck of those qualities within us just growing or just beginning to take shape. See the connection with the budding or just similitude sparks of those qualities. to the completely perfected state of those qualities in the Buddhas. Taking clue of how we got to this spark of quality, listening, from reflecting, and from taking time out and meditating. Take a clue from this more consistent efforts we can make them grow and eventually evolve 
into a full and perfected quality. Each one of them, one by one, makes sense how how it's possible to take long, but nonetheless, if we persist in it, we can make sense of its possibility of evolving. Provided we bring causes and conditions concoded with them. Let that generate some level of hope, delight, and bring in encouragement. Particularly in view of the suffering sentient beings, fellow sentient beings that we visualize surrounding us, all in human forms. Joining us in this recitation as well as in this sharing. Yet all of them undergoing their own respective both common and unique samsari predispositions. Some very grave, so much so that they don't have even a small pocket of respite from their incessant sufferings, gross sufferings. But nonetheless, all of us, hearing the fact that our future is in the hands of afflictions, actions induced by them, how the weight, the strength of our dispositions into negativities kind of ever ready to misdirect us in our actions, in our thoughts. All the effort to generate positivity, to divert that negative direction into a positive one, though possible, it requires doubling down our efforts against this force of negative dispositions. On these grounds and others try to generate a sense of Affinity with the sentient beings, growing into empathy, into a sense of genuine love and compassion, into bodhicitta.
making us firm in our determination to pursue the path to full awakening, which is when, which is only when we'll be able to really benefit all sentient beings without exception, in the truest sense of the word, at the very least on our part, nothing will be falling short of. That's the quality that the Buddha has had in terms of connecting with sentient beings. It takes more than fully awakened state of being. There needs to be some connections, karmic or otherwise, to be able to connect with the sentient beings. And on top of that, when we pursue awakening, we ourselves get to realize the full potential of our positivity. And thus, at least on our part, always ready, capable of benefiting anyone, anywhere, anytime, so long as they fulfill their part of being sensitive to the connection. Based on these reflections and others, will more boost it in our aspiration to attain full awakening for the sake of all sentient beings. Of course, complemented by all the required wisdoms in other parts of the path, with our mind set, with our mind mental states drenched in this reflection-influenced mode of mentality. Let's recite the homage together. Let's once again renew the attitude of bodhicitta that we just cultivated. Let that mind of Bodhicitta be your soul touched. By the appreciation of how precious the human birth that we have taken is. But the mere preciousness of it, mere reality of it, and the mere capacity of it in really obtaining great meaning is not enough. On top of recognizing it, that we should be able to make use of it, make the most out of it. Just 
Just being born as human is no guarantee that the next time you'll be also a human. In fact, in Vinaya Vastu, it tells how sentient beings in the lower realms born, being born into lower realm in the next life, and sentient beings born as humans and moonless, reborn as animals, others in the lower realms. As numerous, comparable to the whole atoms of dusts, the earth. It says of the left of the big land mass, whereas those who are reborn from the animals into the humans, other higher birds. It's very rare. And likewise, there's no guarantee that humans necessarily succeed in taking most use of their precious human birth. And thus, there is no guarantee in being born as humans or gods in the next life. That too is very rare. And to a certain extent, we can all relate to that, see that, how we humans, despite the fact that we are equipped with such a wonderful brain, which serves as a medium through which we could get to express our mental capacities. Most of the time, to the point of being able to really plan ahead, think deep, think vast, big, think of bodhicitta, what can be more vast and more profound and more benevolent a mindset than this? Humans are capable of generating it. Yet at the same time, we are witness to the fact that humans spend their time, waste their time, other trivial things, things that would end just before they die, not even get to experience them at the time of their death, even before death gets them. Many of the things that they would have spent their whole entire life and have by worldly standard have achieved a lot, all of them would have already become meaningless. And on top of that, many would have gotten to those areas, those positions, those milestones by so much 
negative ways. They have not blatant physical or verbal ways, but nonetheless, very possibly, most of the time, with negative attitudes. From that we can guess where would their next life be. Just before that sets in, what kind of a mindset that could be, they could be in, given the fact that all they have worked for has stopped being of any meaning. Just, just leaving them feeling completely empty. At the same time, not efforts had gone into wondering about the possibility of continuation after death, thus having to go move into a completely, completely unexplored, uninformed, clueless period. Based on this, feel more encouraged to even stand in one's bodhicitta mind, wherever it may be at this stage, to have more, further, deeper, stronger, clearer, well grounded, supported level This is the mind set the best mindset we can come up with. At the same time, the mindset that would have the greatest promise of benefiting not just oneself, all sentient beings without exception. Just the cultivation of it, almost we can say it touches every sentient being, irrespective of whether we know them or not. Because in our mindset, we would not have left them out. How wonderful is this? Let's determine to put more effort in strengthening this bodhicitta attitude, as well as spend our time this evening or this morning with our mindset influenced drenched in bodhicitta mode.
Wait, wait, on page 284, right? Is it 284? I think we finished. Pardon? We finished the first paragraph. Oh, okay. Yeah. Within affliction, wisdom abides. Here, wisdom refers to the cognitive component of that mind. It's clarity and cognizance, not virtual wisdom. That cognitive component is called wisdom because it is the cause for more, for wisdom to arise in the future. The meaning is that amidst the afflictions is undefiled, clear cognitive component of Rigpa exists. Rigpa is sometimes translated as natural mind, uncontrived, unaffected, natural mind, but then it seems to refer to more than just mere natural mind, something which is more subtle and serves as the main continuum to becoming fully awakened, omniscient mind of Buddha. In the New Translation School of Tantrayana, this primordially pure mind is called the clear light mind. So, I used to have some problem with this usage of the term primordial. (laughs) But here, primordially pure mind uh, has to be could be understood both in conventional sense and ultimate sense. And in ultimate sense, it's strangely quite acceptable, easily acceptable, because it's saying that it's by its very nature dependently arisen because of that, with no intrinsic identity of its own, thus cleared of its what would have been a nature-related affliction being completely freed of. So that's the malleability of it, because of its being malleable in the first place, of being merely contingent on causes and conditions. Thus, once you rearrange that causes and conditions on configuration, there is no choice but for it to change. So in that sense, and and so that's kind of a broad, broad brush <laughs> of the of the ultimate nature. But if you kind of filter it further, and what it lands on is that it utterly lacks any objective substance or objective essence of its own, but being. Instead, it is just thoroughly, thoroughly contingent on others, thus having a borrowed existence. So in that respect, it leaves not the slightest room for any objective, any, any justified objective fixation. 
So from that point of view, it is primordially pure. And that kind of a primordial purity is understandable because things have got to be dependently arisen. And thus would have no room for any kind of intrinsic identity. Now the other thing, the conventional aspect of the primordially pure nature would have to, would, would depend on first asserting that yes, there is a mind other than the brain. Not that the mind functions or enjoys a separate un unrelated existence when it is in an embodied form embodied state, because so long as it is embodied, it will have to embody it with, uh, with the brain, then it will have to function or express through the brain. But nonetheless, is that connection kind of just merely confined to the physical body, so much so that it comes after, if not before, the, if not at the same time as the body comes about, it comes later than the body, and then it recedes or it ceases to exist when the body function, bodily function stops. Is it just that, or is it beyond that? that that's a very important question. Then on that basis, then we will begin to see, okay, if that extends beyond an embodied being, a brain or whatever, then on top of that, then we have to make sense of how it is conventionally pure, that the defilements are pure adventitious and the defilements never ever make into the very nature of the mind. So very often we think of this, you may already have considered this, we think of this relationship, at least approach from the Buddhist point of view, we think of this relationship between body and mind in more of a, to use a modern analogy, the, the computer, hard drive, hard, hardware and software. <laughs> So long as they are there, they, they're like functioning together, but that doesn't mean that they are one and the same. And we, before computer, before, before I became familiar with computer, what I used to think of in terms of this relationship between body and mind is radio, trans transistor radio. It would look like everything, the person, there might be even a person in it, because, and that the person is dependent on the parts of the computer or the radio, in that if you fiddle with it, it comes to, goes off, oh, oh, it kind of, you can change the voice and all of that. But it has to have a trans transmission station somewhere out. If they stop it, no matter how you fiddle it, how much you polish it, how much you really care after it, there would be no voice there. So that's something to think about and look for clues to that. I don't know if this will help or not. Last time we were, I was struggling to find out 
what that story was about some man and when there was something very kindly looked up looked it up just that very night and sent it to me it says it's it's indeed it's the invisibilia invisibilia episode first that part i remembered <laughs> invisibilia but after that i didn't i didn't necessarily wait for that look for that we just have the npr on and then whatever happens to be when i'm doing something else that i could listen to then i just listen it so i didn't follow up on that but the first episode is about a man who got trapped as part of the caption of the explanation who got trapped in his own body for how many years yeah 12 years a man trapped in his own body for 12 years trapped in such a way that for the first two years he didn't have any sense of his being existing but his body was going on somehow they said that the parents when they were when they had to take the body back the doctor said that it's as good as not being there you just take it and and wait until it dies and at one point the mother is said to have spoken to to the to the to the body which is almost like a totally unmoving nothing that may you die i hope you die soon but the person heard it how I mean, thinking of that, it's just imagining what it would be like to go through that for twelve years, three hundred and sixty plus days, twelve times, each with twenty-four hours. So for for the first two years, he said that he didn't have any sense of his being there, but his body kept going apparently. because that involved feeding him washing him taking him putting him on the bus and taking him to a place where they could just give him so that the parents could go on work and what that place would do is just give him in the, in his chair what do you call that yeah wheelchair wheelchair in front of a in front of a tv and everybody would go about their thing but he was after two years he was aware of everything his eyes could see his ears can hear but he wasn't able able to even move maybe but later on somehow yeah it is amazing i mean he went through he had to come up with his own ways to deal with it like really saying this is enough is enough now i need to really take ownership of this and and at least get some sense of control over myself so his mind was very clear 
from the second year onward. For the first two years, who knows what happened. He was not moving at all on his own. Not even eyes, nothing. And then somehow he was able to, he was pushing himself to kind of get to know the time because he was so bored because the, they would always play the same thing. What was the, what is the play called? Barney. Yeah. So what does that mean? Yeah. I, I, what's that? I, I love you, you love me. Something has to do with it. <laughs> and, yeah, something with the burning. That part I couldn't catch, except it, 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 I listened to it, it played that. But I don't have any idea. So he was exposed to it day after day after day that, that he hated it. Then eventually he had to train himself to kind of not think negative by blocking the thoughts. And he got very good at it. So he was meditating in his vegetative body. And then eventually he said, even that is not good. That's like, that's like whisking oneself out of existence. Like completely blocking the thoughts, right? Eventually he had to come up with ways by which he could turn around things around. Like mother was saying this thing, he would kind of empathize with her, put himself in her shoes, look at him, and what, and then think of how what her son has become compared to how he was, apparently very active and like that. So that way he taught himself to come up with positive ways of looking at it. That really gave him strength and his body healed a little bit. It's quite telling. And then eventually he began to see, he began to be able to tell time to himself, not to anybody else, but time to himself, by piecing together things. Like there would be someone speaking about time, or some clues about now it's over, and then eventually he began to see the sunlight, that the shadows, but that he could tell time. So that kind of gave him some control, sense of control, able to do something. And then it eventually healed his body, not, but not completely. He, after, after he became, after 12 years, when he began to move his body, my eyes and begin eventually healed. He was still dependent on what do you call uh, mm, the computer? Something that talks with Yeah. What do you call that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The one that Steve Hawkins was using, same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, so he didn't get completely healed, but he was able to not only move his body, but uh, not move in the sense of really walk, but still be dependent on wheelchair, but able to understand upright and then 
टाइप है बट देर वी केस completely com- complete body shut down up up because we would say the brain would be still but in the in a strange way doctors everyone who explored all possible means by which to see that he's getting some signal or what not they couldn't find at all no no way by which to detect of his awareness so that that must include brain also that's exactly what the 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 recording said uh yeah the mother was recounting it but then there are many other clues of possible continuation from before if we did continue from before it would be only mind and mind related with its subtle things not this body of course we didn't come with this body from before right so that's one thing another thing is another thing is the brain is not as smart as the mind mind can really make difference between loving kindness compassion concern for others suffering and then suffering involuntarily mind can make a big difference and feel a big difference I mean, one will be debilitating other one will be strengthening giving more you strength but the brain doesn't make this difference likewise brain doesn't make difference between an imagined thing and an actual thing it just works the same thing it from that it looks like it's mechanical like like the smoke detector i i found it out later on one time the smoke detector went off in my room i said what in the world i had just taken a shower and then the door was not completely oh, closed so this the steam might have gone there no smoke but steam it didn't detect smoke it is just something going through it <laughs> And later i found i i did learn from venerable inchen that sometimes even dust could make it go off so it's like it is named smoke detector but doesn't necessarily make a difference likewise the brain seems to be kind of imagine what do you call it, the producing quality of mind but but and kind of almost equivalent to it but it seems to be more mechanical than the mind is plus his holiness the dalai lama very often shares this he was once in during his one of his visits he had a conversation with a scientist neuroscientist very possibly and he his holiness asked him from how you, how mind and brain works and what not Don't you see the possibility that sometimes, sometimes, it's a turn of the mind to turn the brain on, like a mental state would come, and in it would turn on the brain and affect it. So, effect going other way around. 
when he asked this, the scientist said, yes, theoretically, it seems to be possible. No, not theoretically. Principally, it seems to be possible, but it should not be, because that will go against the, the, the standpoint, what do you call the, 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 the basic position of the neuroscientist that mind is an imagined property of brain, that the, that it should always come from it, not from it, not the other way around. So his holiness comments that, that comment is not scientific. That is biased on its own. Scientific bias. Very often, some lonely machine calls it scientific uh, blind faith. They have their own blind faith. Kind of, uh, unless something really, really dramatic happens, they're not ready to even question the, what do you call, the basic premise. The basic premise, very basic, uh, basic concept. Basic concept. So on a gross level, they may be able to explain things, but when it comes to subtle things, such as like the time of death, uh, out-of-body experiences and whatnot, then, I mean, one has to look for some other clues. So the reason why I'm speaking about all this is why I went off, went off this way and this way and this way. <laughs> I was talking of the primordially pure, right, to make sense of that. So the primordial nature of it, as some sometimes gives us an impression of something given, given from the very beginning, or from the very beginning, less beginning. <laughs> but uh, how to kind of see it possible, it being possible, is something we need to kind of encounter and face. So in this in this in this regard, at least for me, making sense of primordial primordially primordial purity from this ultimate point of view is easier than the conventional point of view. <laughs> but there, the the, the idea that the what it hinges on is the fact that. Our mind, our individual mind, may precede our birth, our brain of this life. And how, given that, we can make a case of its being primarily pure in the conventional sense, in the in the in the sense that. It is like a ball of glass, which is pure, undefiled in its nature, but it could be temporarily 
perceived to be defined or perceived to be uh, kind of affected by other peripheral causes and conditions. So right now, the different the, the, the difference between sense, sensory consciousness, mental consciousness, is not that clear cut, and and of course not not on the basis of how brain brain functions. We feel the difference, but in terms of brain reading, it's very difficult to make the distinction. I used to think, and I used to share this with my fellow monks studying science. I was thinking that the, the perception, the perception that happens at the back of the brain, uh, now it's the brain divisions what do you call the back one? Temp not temporal. Yeah, occipital. See, mind really works so strange. When I moved from there, I decided in that condition, I thought, okay, now this may be it. I might not have anything to do with it. That kind of a mindset kind of really makes whatever you are living kind of go even quicker. So that's why it takes a while for me to re remember. Yeah. So I used to think that in the case of a visual consciousness, when it meets with a stimulus and it hits the receptors on the retina. Maybe even a little further than that, through the optic nerve into some midway through the brain, it's still eye consciousness. When the information goes through the through the through the optic optical chiasm and and then further into the perception level, then it might be mental mental consciousness. But even the scientists do not seem to by because as you say it perceives it, but even though in the Buddhist understanding visual consciousness would have to have perception within its within its uh, composition, but perceiving in the way that they speak of in terms of. Uh, Recognizing something is not typical of sensory consciousness. Sensory consciousness are almost like uh, mute, unable to explain themselves. <laughs> and then, in a way, it. My proposition is not completely out of the blue. I was backing it up with the fact that. In, in the neuroscience, you speak of what you call blind sight, uh, sight blind, pardon? 
no, not blind spot. It has a very interesting name. Not interesting. I mean, quite telling name. Sight, sight. You don't say sight blindness. Anyway, yeah, I see. I I kind of cast it away so much. But anyway, what it does is, um. It has something to do with sight and blind, but I don't know how to combine them. Anyway, if they have some defect in the in the visual uh, cortex, yeah, somewhere near the occipital, blind sight. Yes, it is blind sight. Sight blind, blind sight. Something. <laughs> it's mirror labeled. No, not left. So it is blind sight in that, in that, in that you are blind in being not able to tell which is what. But at the same time, you will be able to stay away through the things. So you cannot, you will not be able to recognize things. What is this? What is this? But somehow you see something, and thereby you are able to stay away through it. So that's called blind sight. Blind, but at the same time sighted. And the reason for that is. The, the defect is not in the eyesight, but somewhere between the optic nerve and the and, and the area where the perception happens. So 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 you cannot generate perception, but at the same time, almost quote unquote see. So that you you would be able to navigate your passage through things. But not able to tell, oh, this is this, I might bump into this, this is this. Not that kind of a perception. So that's the reason why I was saying, oh, that person might have eye sense consciousness, but not mental sense, mental consciousness following the sense consciousness. That's the reason why I proposed it, but people didn't buy into it. <laughs> so, I was providing a clue that maybe you can come up with a distinction between eye sense consciousness and mental consciousness. But they're not ready to buy into it. So they do not have still a way of telling when when we generate mental consciousness and when we generate sense consciousness. <laughs> so anyway, it, it tells something about the brain being kind of falling short of. Mind is capable. Anyway, so those are things to consider and to think of uh, the possibility of a different take in terms of the relationship between body and mind, or brain and mind. It's quite telling in the Buddhist text, there's hardly any mention of brain being a big deal. Maybe it's not a big deal. <laughs> in vis-a-vis mind, it's almost like making a big deal about the, re- the, the, the radio. This I must keep because it keeps transmitting things, right? What about transmission station? If you don't 
what you call facilitate that it it may go out of existence. Then the radio is no use at all. So anyway, that 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 may be a little bias for me to say or oh, rationalize how there is little mention of brain. <laughs> but anyway. Plus, from a Buddhist perspective, there are so many brainless beings, embodied beings with... There could be beings, embodied beings, of course, with no brain. Embodied, we could call, embodied could become, could come in several different degrees. So, anyway, in new translation schools of Tantrayana, this primordially pure mind is called the clear light mind. That is the only one which has no coming, no birth, no death, no severance, nothing. All the rest. Now we are upping our understanding of mind from a Buddhist perspective when we take up, take the settlers clearly mind into account. Then compare with that all the other minds, mind states, mental states, spoken of in the sutra, whole of sutra at least in terms of their their quality, they fall short of being something that is perennial. Whereas only this is only this is constant. But momentarily changing, but ever maintaining its continuum. And on the basis of that we speak of Buddhahood very unique in the Mahayana perspective, particularly the highest Yogatantra perspective. We speak of the possibility of the four kayas that's not mentioned in the whole of Pali Canon, I think. In the Pali Canon. And 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 on the basis of that, and because of that, there is no no presentation of four kayas in the Pali tradition. And thus, a Buddha, when when he appears in the world, that's not a demonstration, but actual actual being going through ordinary being state to fully awakened just in front of us. And after he passes away into the Parinirvana, he ceases to be. So in the I think that seemed to be the position of the Bali traditions, if I may say so. At the very least it is the position in terms of the four schools of tenets, it's the position of the Vaibhashika and the Sautantrika, even part of Chitta Matra, the Lungi Chetang, the more orthodox, <laughs> the Sutra followers. I want to call them orthodox. <laughs> In a good, light sense. <laughs> so, so in their sense, in, in, in their case, Mind ceases. We go into extinct. 
literally so, including the mind itself. On that basis, then we cannot posit the possibility of a Buddha being always present. Once you become fully awakened Buddha, because the Buddhahood itself is grounded on the subtlest clearer mind, no grosser mind at all. Because of that, its full operational state of being is capable of carrying on. Because that mind, that subtlest mind, is the subtlest and has no death, no birth at all. On that basis. Okay. Any any questions? Any? <laughs> yes, please. Did I ask for a problem? <laughs> Trouble myself. <laughs> no, no quiz on brain anatomy. Don't worry. <laughs> so, so on this point, I've I've gotten a bit stuck because the way that I was introduced to that idea of thinking about the the mind being something that continues before conception and after death involves reflecting on our coarse mind. And so what I've struggled with is having spent time um, reflecting on kind of my, my coarse nature of mind, not that it was expressed that way, but not having that tantric perspective. It's like, oh, okay, the mind continues. The mind is this uninterruptible continuum. And now the statement is, oh, well, that gross mind you were thinking of, actually that does yeah. stop. The basis continues. So can, can you help me with this? Because it feels like I had convinced myself of something that now is, okay, that not actually true. I can assure you that's not just you. <laughs> Everyone really going through the four schools of tenets could go through a very typical way. In, a, in, in live experience, Vasubandhu went through that. He was so obstinate in his position on things from the Vaipasaka uh, and Satantra point of view. And his brother had to kind of, his brother Asanga had to kind of take him under his wing and then say, he kind of pushed him, pushed him, pushed him. Eventually, he managed to take Chitramatra. So, Vasubandhu went through that. <laughs> and this layout of the four schools of tenet is meant to do that. You start from where you are comp compatible, and then you will not, you will not be kept, kept Alone, once you have built that, built that place, safe place, then those around you think, pick at you, saying, oh, that's, 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 and you, you have no choice but to really wonder, and that's how it, you evolve and you change, and then move into the next one, like that. So this is. Very normal. <laughs> this is very normal. <laughs> Not just that. 
adjusted in the tantric system. Not that I don't know much about it. But in the tantric system, once you hit the path of seeing, you become arhat. Yeah. So yeah, the path has become more sophisticated, more enriched, whatnot. Because of that, the fruits come by quicker. Path of seeing is equivalent to being arhat. So that's another. <laughs> yeah. So. It's 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 really helpful to kind of move through the four schools, even if one doesn't really necessarily buy into one position or other. Kind of is open to any, but it would be good to look at. And then this is, and then more particularly, try to pick, try to find fault with the lower school. That's meant to be. It's not. It's not dejecting them. But it's. It's a, it, as venerable very often suggest. These four schools are not out there. They have to be looked in, within you and see what what position on a particular thing. In regard to that, which school are you in? You could be in too many schools at the same time. On this, I'm by. On this, on I'm this. On this, I'm with this. So I'm part Sotantrika, part Vaibhashika, part Chittamatra, and part even Pasangiga Madhavika. <laughs> and then if you push further, then, the, then particularly on the subjective agency, subjective agent component part of it, then the specialty of the, the Vajrayana thing comes. Objective view, subjective view, we make a difference. So very often we speak of Rikpa as a subjective view, and so we, it, 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 yeah, it's a subjective, subjective view, so that you, you see a difference from sutra take, sutra take, to this level. When it comes to the objective, objective view, or rather the the the, it's 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 quite difficult to speak using the term objective because in one in certain cases it's it's what is to be negated. In certain cases, you have to allow for it to a certain extent. So here, objective means object. The objective view that is the emptiness. That's the objective view. Not that it is objectively existent, but it is speaking of it, speaking of the view in terms of in terms of an object of a receiving consciousness. So on that regard, the Prasangika stake is the final because they have pushed it to the limit. If on the pretext of pursuing the Vajrayana take, you push the objective view is also, and you will revert back to inherent existence. <laughs> yes, please. Is it more accurate to say the subject clear light 
meditates on the object clear light. The ideal is to combine the two. Yeah. They do not necessarily always come together. But it's not. Has to. Yeah, but not subjective on the objective. What do you mean? Like it. Um, what they call subjective view? It's the subject clear light. Yeah, subject clear light. Meditating on the object, the object clear, light. clear light. Yes. And then uh, the combination. Yes. The union. So rather than objective subjective, which is very confusing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is it is confusing because I'm using the term myself in different contexts. In one context, I'm saying there's nothing objective. At the same time, I'm saying there is a subjective objective view. So, so those are used in different contexts. Pardon? Yeah, the the view, the view is little confusing. It is it is it is a literal translation. It's, you see, you view, your view from your window. It, in that context, it is used. But what it is is view in the sense of in in the sense of what is the ultimate sight you can expect of anything being when you have developed that. So that's the objective view in terms of the ultimate nature of existence. And then the subjective view will be what would be the subtlest subtlest uh, ultimate uh, state of a subjective mind beyond which it doesn't change. So that would be the subjective view. Subjective view, yeah, I think one could speak of subjective view, and then we speak of bringing the two together. And then in, and that is itself called a union of the clear light mind, subjective clear light mind, objective clear light mind, or in some contexts we speak of the mother clear light mind meeting the child clear light mind, yeah, in, in the case of death. And then eventually that becomes one part of an, another union. And that, so, so you begin to see the sophistication of the stacking up happens more rich. Okay, uh, we're going into areas that I'm not, not even aware of. I found myself walking into a totally uncharted area. And I, and I didn't see any of you. I was all by myself. I better come back. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the terms need to be so it it will depend. It will wait. It will, it will have to wait until we have realized English-speaking masters could speak from their own experience. That will really make a big difference. There's so much room for improvement in how we call them in English. 
But for now, there's no other way but to resort to them. Eventually you say, okay, now you have served your purpose, you go, something else come. In the scripture, we speak of uh, the analogy of mm, uh, boat or uh, yeah, to cross a river. Once you have crossed it, you say, bye-bye. Thank you for serving me up to this point. Now I don't need to. Because if I need you, I will end up taking you on me. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Similar to Rigpa, it continues from our present unawakened state to full awakening. So the subtle, subtle is clear in mind. It's, it's, it's the ever-present of all the consciousnesses. It's the, ever, it's the only one ever-present. Not born. So we have this, uh, we have this uh, stanza, which can be read as uh, as a praise of emptiness, as the object view, or of this subject-object view combination. Uh, this stanza, which do you, I haven't heard you say, you may say that, masam jume, that which is inexpressible, masam jume, inexpressible, unthinkable, Right? Ineffable, uh, inconceivable, perfection, be, um, per wisdom gone beyond, not born, not ceasing, the object of the, the probing wisdom. So it lists some six, seven, masam ju, masam, masam ju, me, shiro, parichi, magi, bingo, namki, one that is in the nature of space. This is uncompounded space. Magi, bingo, namki, ngoye, so so rangi, yi, ju, yuwa. This, magi, bingo, some nine qualities. So it could be, do you, do you say this? Yeah. Oh, that's Yeah, that part I don't know. But usually we recite it uh, in in Yeah, usually we recite it before reciting the Harsutra. Or before reciting Manjushri's names name sutra. So it's quite telling those those qualities can be applied to the object clearly at mind, emptiness itself, and make emptiness as an object of reverence, which is in that particular context. Otherwise, emptiness is everywhere. <laughs> it is not a holy thing in and of itself. 
But at the same time, these same qualities can be applied to the subject clearly in mind also, more particularly or more exclusively, only applicable to the subtlest clearly in mind. All the others are not maji, minga, not born, not seizing. They do, they do get born, they do seize, but not this. Okay. Similar to Rigpa, it continues from our present awakened state to full awakening. Now the question is whether it remains manifest all throughout or, or sometimes unmanifest. <laughs> so if one is to equate it to Rigpa, it seems like it's always present. It's always not just present, but even manifest. But in, the, in accordance with this new translation school, when you speak of the subtlest clearer mind, it becomes manifest only when the, the gross consciousnesses, all the gross consciousnesses, gross, grosser to them, grosser to it, grosser than it, have subsided. Only then it can manifest, otherwise not. So the practice is to not only generate it voluntarily, but even maintain it, and thus be able to kind of stay on it. And that's only what Buddhas can do. The whole being is fully, completely, actively operational, functional on that basis. Plus their body is fully, fully, actively, and solely dependent and dependent and based on the subtlest energy. That's why <laughs> that's why that's why we speak of mm, not so conventional qualities about the Buddhas because of that. Yes, did you have a question? So that's what you're doing in Tukdam as well, right? Just Yeah, there's no as far as I understand, there's no guarantee whether you are in Tukdam in that subtlest clearer mind or some mind those subtlest but not quite the subtlest of the subtlest. So I'm not so sure. It could be after you have been clinically declared that, and what sets on is the what becomes manifest is the the the, the other three subtlest clay light mind, not the subtlest of the subtlest. So during that time, so after you. Uh, declared clinically dead, you still have those four processes, yeah, four levels, four, four, four processes, four stages of dissolution. So, two of them, two of them could be in any of that state or through that state. So it's very really difficult to pinpoint, I mean, at least how I understand. Because I always 
Yeah, because to be able to really what do you call seize the satisfaction of the mind correctly and be able to really stay in it. It takes it takes a lot of practice and efforts. And to call it being what every practitioner is capable of doing. I think it's a little difficult. But uh, yeah, basically I'm saying it could be somewhere in between. And not even hit that and then release and come out of it. I think it could be possible. So it's not necessarily always the most subtle mind, I think. But would it make sense to say then that the took them that different people enter, there would be different results from that? Like not a, or or is there an assurance if you enter took them? Seems like you'd have to have that subtle fundamental mind to realize emptiness and then achieve Buddhahood in the bargain. See, see, you brought it up. The reason why I was saying it could be anywhere between, and then there would be a very difference in the quality. Now you're talking of not only being able to seize the subtlest of the subtlest clearly mind, but even be able to bring emptiness unmistakably in it. So that means one would have to have emptiness understanding correctly and be able to really catch that exact and then combine the two. It, it, it calls for lots of lots of lots of experience and lots of so so I do not have any scriptural basis for that, and direct scriptural basis for that. I'm just working from around and then coming up with this idea, but based on what it takes for it to be that ideal state of Dukdam, etc. Yes. So when we refer to the exalted wisdom mind, which mind are we specifically or generally I see. speaking the, of? The term exalted wisdom is... It's, it's very general. It's, it's not necessarily pointing to the subtlest mind. It's pointing to... Uh, It depends how either it is pointing to the path, consciousness that has become part of the path, because very often the text keeps speak of them as Kempa, exalted knowledge. That was that's how Jebri used to translate it, Kempa. And Kempa is although it's called knowledge, but doesn't necessarily have to be cognitive in nature. It could be any, any, any 
any any positive cultivation of the mind which is which has now taken the the status of being a path so it could range from because kemba is not necessarily confined to arya beings and but how we use it is referring to referring in a reverent honorific way to any path based consciousness be it cognitive in nature or affective in nature like that so there in the sutra context also we use it so that has nothing to do with the subtle scale and mind but when it is used in this tantra and whatnot it could have so it can operate yeah yeah we should push through this paragraph at least <laughs> unlike Rik- okay unlike rigpa which is manifest while the course consciousnesses are functioning the innate clear light mind in accordance with the from the as as spoken of in the new translation school is said to manifest only when the course consciousnesses which includes the afflictions have absorbed or subsided at the time of death or due to special tantric practices it doesn't necessarily have to be time of death time of death is when it naturally happens even to the animals also to everyone who dies that that the nature of mind of the death state is is not other than the subtle screen in mind but for many of us it just it just pass without any sense what <laughs> you 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 die going to the process you kind of it's almost like going to a surgery or like that you are uh, you are given anesthesia <laughs> you you know before you go into it very often they are very skillful the the doctors who work they would talk to you right it's almost like talking you into sleep and then the, the, the next moment when you wake up they're gone they're not interested in the conversation <laughs> otherwise they would be there and you say okay where did we leave okay yeah so The innate clear light mind is said to manifest only when the coarse consciousnesses, which include afflictions, have absorbed at the time of death or due to special time. So it could be generated and actualized, manifested uh, while in while alive through actual practices. And in, in this regard, His Holiness the Dalai Lama very clearly mentions that for all sentient beings irrespective of what planet they may be from or what realm they may be from the only way to become fully awakened is by way of actualizing and employing the certain scalar mind but in terms of how they do that it will depend on their physiological makeup the one that's taught in the tantra in this text is only pertaining to this world of ours not to other body systems 
But nonetheless, being sentient, you can never be separated from your mind, and that mind necessarily have to be in its idle form, in this subtle, clear mind. So it has to be one way or the other. So some other Buddhas can be teaching the same sutra, but not the same Vajrayana. Yes. This just arose because of my sneezing with Venable um, Losang mentioned that well one of the ways that the clear mind manifests is when you sneeze or you faint or you orgasm or so it's just very interesting to see like this subtlest like the, we've been talking about the relationship between the body and the mind and it's quite for I mean why when you sneeze like it's such a mundane <laughs> random thing seemingly that this might you mind. watch yourself when you sneeze you can completely throw away you you even sneeze away all the coarse mind and all the coarse mind have already completely gone it would have made the way for the subtlest the poor subtlest subtlest mind sleeping have no choice but to awake <laughs> now everybody is gone i must do something it's very similar to here when you have something emergency going, you look around, nobody's there, and you have to step up. <laughs> That's exactly what is happening there. <laughs> I explained myself very clearly, right? Well, I haven't heard about sneezing as much, but yawning. Yawning. Sneezing may be a little far-fetched. I don't know. But very often. So, yeah. Okay, I think we should stop. <laughs> yeah, we finished one paragraph. Oh, oh, did you finish? Oh, yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't sleep. <laughs> okay.